0: Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you this day and every day. Amen. Happy Reformation Sunday. This is a really, really big day, like I said, in the Lutheran Church, in my tradition. Before I went to seminary, I was a youth director for two years for junior high and high school students. And on this Sunday, we would do fun things with the youth like eat cookies with Martin Luther's face on them and nail proclamations to random doors around the church. Um, These proclamations would usually be like demanding more donuts during fellowship hour. They were written by the youth, so not really surprising. But as a teacher of the youth in the Lutheran Church, I can tell you from experience that one of the hardest concepts to teach, clearly at least, is the concept of grace, which is a really big part of the tradition. You see, grace tells us something about God that doesn't quite make sense for our human way of doing things. It's unmerited favor and forgiveness. But we live in a world that has rules and laws and usually consequences when those rules and laws are broken. So when we try to explain it to young people, it's usually met with the question, well then, why should I bother being good? And then that moment in youth group is usually pretty quiet after that question is asked, and there are some giggles here and there, um, some eyebrow raises from the uh, adult leaders in the room. I mean, it's a fair question, and one that is always answered in a roundabout and usually unsatisfying way. But what's interesting is now we aren't talking about grace anymore. The conversation has suddenly shifted from the concept of God's love for us, the nature of God's love for us, to the nature of sin. And honestly, I think Martin Luther would probably tell you that that is a really good thing because if we're to truly understand the full meaning and magnitude of grace, talking about sin is a really important starting point. But in my experience, Talking about sin makes people really uncomfortable for a number of complex reasons. I mean, one of them being the concept of sin has often been weaponized against marginalized communities and oppressed communities, but that's not the topic of the sermon today. What I have found that makes people so uncomfortable is the distinction between personal and corporate sin. You see, we prefer to think of sin As personal, I take something that's not mine, I hurt someone, I lie, those are personal sins. And funny enough, this type of sin is way more comforting than the other type. These are actions that I can control, circumstances that I can manipulate. If I don't do these things, then I'm a good person. I'm blameless, if we want to use biblical language. But there's another understanding of sin that's less popular. We don't like to talk about it as much. The biblical understanding of sin as injustice, or the fracturing of social and human fabric. Throughout scripture, God's righteousness is revealed in justice, in the defeat and the taking on of sin. God frees the slaves, feeds the hungry, gives shelter to the poor and the homeless, and provides and protects the most vulnerable. By God addressing these human concerns, we are pointed toward a systemic understanding of sin. One that, by ignoring or benefiting from these systems that oppress others, we passively participate in the most devastating kind of sin and I posit that this is the primary type of sin that God desires to address most. The type that is often subtle but causes the most harm and the most brokenness in the world. And right now we are seeing a lot of that brokenness. Sickness continues to spread doing the most harm to people who live and work in circumstances that expose them and often still can't afford proper health care. More and more individuals and families are losing their jobs or being evicted from homes while the 10% continues to get richer. Basic respect and resources are denied to people based on their race, gender, sexual orientation or ability. And this is not one person doing wrong to another. These are the systems that we live in. They are woven into the fabric of our society. Systems that we participate in every single day, whether we are willing or not. This is injustice and God tells us that this is sin. The way that Paul describes sin in Romans is something that we are born into the natural state of the human condition. And we can't walk on this planet or go through life without causing some kind of harm, even if we don't know we're doing it. This sin doesn't just cause harm to one person, the person that it, you know, is personally victimizing. It causes harm to the whole community, the whole human family. It polarizes us, divides us, and causes strife. We don't like to talk about this type of sin. Sometimes we won't even acknowledge it as sin because, frankly, it's, it's too painful. It's too painful to see our own failures, the harm we cause, reflected back at us and know that we have no power or little power to control or stop it, by ourselves at least. Yet often, in order to live in this world, we are forced to participate in many of these harmful systems. It's a part of being human, part of living with this massive brokenness. But it's only by staring into the reflection of that great brokenness at the depth of our sin and our own suffering that we understand the magnitude of God's grace and what was done when Jesus poured himself out for the forgiveness of sin. The scripture today tells us that we cannot find redemption in the law, we cannot justify ourselves by doing good works, but that through the law, we are made aware of our own sinfulness. It acts as a mirror that reflects our own faults and failures. When we choose to look into that mirror, we take a risk We risk seeing ourselves fully and maybe not liking what we see. And that is why talking about this kind of sin is often so hard and yet so important. Because when we open ourselves up to that conversation, we are like the disciple Peter, stepping out of the safety of the boat, trying to walk in faith with Christ. But the water is so deep. And the waves are so high. Our hearts beat faster and faster as wave after wave of suffering and sin and heartbreak crashes into us. Soon we are overwhelmed and we sink. But we are told that Peter, even in his fear and doubt, reached out for Jesus. And when Jesus had pulled Peter out of the water, He named Peter's lack of faith as being the reason why he sank. and We all have those moments of shaky faith, of doubt. The world is full of waves. Being alive in a time when there is so much hurt and uncertainty, of course we would question. Of course we wonder, where is God when all of this suffering and hurt is crashing into us? What good is grace when there is so much hurt in our lives? I have a friend who I have known for a number of years, and we don't share the same beliefs. In fact, I think she would qualify herself as an atheist. But I always enjoy having theological conversations with people who, share different, who have different beliefs um, because they challenge me and they make me think differently about things. But this friend, she's a nurse in a hospital and often has shifts in the coronavirus unit. There have been times when she's shared her frustrations with me over losing a patient, venting the way that a friend would, but that doesn't happen very often. And I definitely think that nurses have a higher tolerance for heartache, especially in a time like this. She doesn't often show her sadness. But one day, after finishing a night shift on the COVID unit, she texted me. It was early in the morning, and I don't even know if she'd had a chance to drive home from work yet. But she told me that she'd had a really hard night. There was a woman who had had coronavirus on her unit who coded during the night. And the team of nurses and doctors had worked hard for over an hour to try and save this woman, but she died. She left behind a family and several young children who were devastated. And after my friend told me what happened, she said, I know this is going to sound strange coming from me, but could you pray for this woman's family? I remember sitting there, staring at my phone for a few minutes, a little stunned, before responding, of course I will pray for them. You see, this interaction only happened a few weeks ago, but it is forever seared onto my heart, and I couldn't figure out why until I started writing this sermon. My friend doesn't believe in God the way that I do, but in that moment, She was so overwhelmed with helplessness and sadness that she reached out. She reached out for something bigger than herself, stretching her fingers and calling out to something she didn't recognize for a hope that this family and the teams of doctors and herself would be pulled up out of this terrible and unfair circumstance. She was asking the universe for the pain and the heartache of this family to be met with a reply – one that would bring comfort and healing. Would my friend say that she was having a religious experience? Probably not. But I think in that moment she recognized that there are times when we are overwhelmed by the waves of suffering in this world and the depth of our own brokenness. When we are sinking in the waters of hopelessness and injustice, sometimes we need to cry out for someone to help us because we can't help ourselves. And it's in this moment, as we reach, that Christ takes our hand and pulls us above the waters. In our most desperate need and in our doubt and in our wrongdoing, God answers us. When we reach out, God always reaches back. That is grace. Knowing that no matter what we have done, God will never abandon us to suffer alone. That as we suffer, Christ suffers with us and loves us with his whole heart. So when we we ask what good is grace when there is so much suffering, The good is in the confidence that no matter what we are going through or what we've done, God always keeps promises. And God promises to make us whole and to bring justice to those who are low in spirit, the poor and the oppressed. The promise is real and true. And scripture tells us that it has been fulfilled in Jesus. Yet when we look around, we still see so much suffering, so much injustice. During the past year, I was completing my internship, a requirement for ordination. I was the pastoral intern at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. When the pandemic hit, the school buildings shut down, many people were laid off from the university, and I completed my internship virtually from my home in Illinois. A few weeks after I returned to Naperville, George Floyd was murdered about five blocks from my Minneapolis apartment. I can't tell you how frustrating it was not to be physically present with the community that I had spent months caring for and growing with during a time of such pain and outrage as they marched and protested and demanded justice. I watched with rapt attention the marches on the news as people cried out, How long? How long must we wait for the laws to change, for the voices of entire communities to be heard? How long must we wait for justice? Christ died for the redemption of the world, so where is it? Where is God's justice? How long must we wait for God's justice to reign and for sin to be defeated? One of the interesting things about this text from Romans doesn't come through in the translation that we heard today. In verse 24, the version we read says, Since all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But I argue that a better translation of the Greek would be, They are being justified. This was not some one-and-done action. It is the work of God that is carried through history into our very lives today. Christ's redemptive act in history is being lived out now. When voices cry out, when and how long, God replies, now. We can see the redemption of Christ and God's saving grace in the work of those who demand justice, for the oppressed in the stomping feet of protesters fighting for their neighbors' well-being. We hear God in their prophetic voices. We see God's justice with every family that is raised up out of homelessness. When communities come together to help struggling businesses. When the voices of the oppressed are lifted up and heard. When families receive comfort for their loss. The Spirit is moving through our world like a mighty wind, propelling us toward the kingdom and proclaiming the grace of God every single day. This is work that we cannot do alone, and we don't have to. God is doing the work among, with, and through us, We are being justified now by the grace of God through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And no matter what the present or the future brings, we can have faith that Jesus is always there with us, pulling us out of the depths. God is showering us with grace, especially in the hardest moments. And when we reach out, God always reaches back. Amen.